Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Nick Bob podcast. Of course, we are uh, powered by Pella windows and doors. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. Still loving all the work that they did on my home, the new front door, the bay window. It's all fantastic. Those people are the absolute best. And we're powered by Shoot360 Lincoln, the world's most advanced basketball training facility. I am an owner along with my brother, and we are about two and a half months into this thing we opened in mid-october and man things are going great if you have not been into the see the facility you need to go check it out you can schedule a free workout that's right free to see what it's all about uh, go to shoot360.com backslash Lincoln. There's a little icon, request a free workout. Our GM will get a hold of you. We'll schedule a time for you to come in and get your workout on. Uh, for basketball players of, of really all ages and skill levels, really, I mean, it start, I mean, eight years old, probably the, 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 the range that, that it usually, in terms of the young part of it, but then all the way up to, you know, big time pros and all that stuff, anybody in between, uh, you need to come check it out. I mean, our membership numbers are growing. We are really, really building something special and, uh, our, our patented and proprietary technology. I mean, you just got to come see it. Like it is incredible what we're able to do with our passing and skills walls where we're, we're handling the ball, hitting a target, throwing it off a big like touchscreen TV. And then our shooting bays are just amazing with the technology that they have, giving you real-time feedback after every shot. I still, every time I go in there, I just, I, I can't believe how amazing the facility is. So make sure you check out Shoot360 Lincoln as well. Hey, speaking of basketball, on, on deck today, uh, you know, with the holiday week and, and all that stuff, I've, I've spent some more time with the fan, but I'm ready to get back into it on a more consistent basis. I've had a lot of people like, hey, man, what do you think about Creighton? Give me some thoughts on Creighton. Well, let's talk a little Creighton hoops. I'm taping this. It's Sunday, December 31st. It's New Year's Eve. Creighton just lost on the, uh, to Marquette on the road uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, 72-67. I'll give some thoughts on that game in a bit. Um, you know, the, Obviously, Creighton's hit a little, little skid here, right? Creighton has now lost three of their last four games. They lost to UNLV on a neutral floor. They beat Bama, but then they lost to Villanova at home and now at Marquette. I mean, there's a chance that Creighton is out of the top 25 next week, depending on what else happens this week in college basketball. So certainly a little turbulence here for a team that not too long ago was inside the top 10. Um, with, the, with that Marquette game, I, I, my quick takes are this. Number one, I felt like Creighton needed to build a bigger lead in the first 10, 12 minutes of that game when Creighton was getting stops and Marquette was really out of sync offensively. I mean, it felt like the door was open there and Marquette was really vulnerable. I mean, Marquette had five points eight minutes into the game, and Marquette had scored 13 points 13 minutes into the game. I thought Creighton had a chance to really bury Marquette there. Not not like in the game, per se, but be up 20, 22, 23 points and with seven minutes to go in the, in the first half, and the whole complexion of the game changes at that point. Instead, Creighton was only up 19 to 10 at that like seven-minute mark, and 
Marquette makes a three, and all of a sudden it's 19-13, and the, the feeling both ways is, like, way different. Like, for Creighton, you're like, damn, we have played pretty good defensively, gotten a bunch of stops, and, and damn, we're only up six, we're only up nine. And then for Marquette, you're like, man, we haven't – we've played terrible, we haven't made a shot, and we are right there. So I felt like that first 10, 12 minutes of the game, Creighton really had a chance to, like, put a stranglehold on Marquette and didn't do it. That was my first take. The second take was the junior varsity level turnovers were just killer, man. I mean, Marquette is really active and really disruptive on defense. That's their thing. That's Shaka Smart. They chart deflections. You guys know and and see about that when you watch games on TV. They're all about getting in the passing lanes and, and making life difficult. And so you're going to have some turnovers when you play Marquette, but what you can't have are the silly, unforced turnovers. That's what Those are the ones you can't have. And I thought Creighton had too many of those. And then just, obviously, too many turnovers in general. Creighton finished with 18 total turnovers. And again, Creighton's lack of athleticism, in particular at that point guard spot, really hurts when teams heat Creighton up. I'll get to more on that in a little bit. A few other things with the game. Sean Jones for Marquette was arguably the biggest difference in the game. He was four, Sean Jones for Marquette, he was he was four for 28 from three on the season coming into the game. And Creighton's plan was to play off of him, plug the lane on Cam Jones and Tyler Kolek, try to not get too extended on and sink in on rolls on Oso Iguodaro, all those kinds of things. Creighton's plan was to play off of him, make him shoot some threes. Well, he did, and he made three threes. One was a huge shot. So to me, that was as hit him make if he doesn't make three threes again. He had made four all season. If he doesn't make three threes, th- th- that who knows how that game unfolds. So that was a big factor. And then really, other than than Shireman and Trey Alexander, nobody really played all that well. Kalkbrenner was quiet. Ashworth really struggled. And the reality is, you go on the road against a top five, top ten team, you, you you're going to need all your all your guns firing. Creighton's bench at times is back to struggling in spurts again. And then when the game was nip and tuck in the final five, six, seven minutes, Creighton just got pressured out offensively again. They just got pushed out. Every pass was a struggle, just entering offense, running things crisply. Like the amount of times someone picked up their dribble and had a hard time finding someone, right? Like they were just pressed out on their heels. Which, again, this is a problem that I've talked about a lot with this group where I think that the, the book is out where it's like you, when teams pin their ears back, teams are just like, we're going to pin our ears back and we're going to pressure the shit out of Creighton. And Creighton has a hard time with it at times. But all in all, you know, Creighton, who I didn't, th- I didn't think they would win at Marquette, didn't think they'd win that game. But they had a great chance to actually go win that game. They just couldn't get it done. And now that's back-to-back games where Creighton was right there late in the game and couldn't find a way to, to pull it out. So all in all, obviously frustrating. I, I didn't even think – I didn't think Marquette played very well at all. Oddly enough, I didn't think they had a whole bunch of juice. It was a weird – I don't know. I, I didn't think Marquette looked great, and yet they still won. I thought Creighton could have easily gone in there and 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 gotten the win with how that game was unfolding early. Instead, they take a loss, and now they're 0-2 in Big East play for the first time in nine years, which is pretty wild to say. Now, before I go any further with 
with this pod and zooming out and talking big picture stuff with this team and some players and all that stuff, I remind everyone to breathe. Take a deep breath like it's a long season. Remember a year ago at this time, the sky was falling with Creighton. Creighton had lost six in a row. Remember at one point, Creighton was 9-8 and eight on the season after dropping back-to-back Big East games at UConn and at Xavier. And what happened? Creighton got their groove back. They eventually went to the Elite Eight and were one second away from the Final Four. So just remember, it's a long season. It's a long season. Most teams hit a little turbulence. Very rarely does a team just like the ball's tipped, start the season, and boy, they are just smooth sailing, playing great all season long. That very rarely happens, unless you're like what the Nova team with Brunson and Bridges and all this got like, just very rarely happens. So I, as hard as it is, you just you try not to ride that roller coaster of emotions if possible. Now, I, but with that said, and not to sound hypocritical, I think the interesting thing for me is like I understand I I acknowledge all that stuff that I just said. Hey, it's a long season. Don't ride the roller coaster. It's you know teams hit turbulences, skids, all that stuff. The question is though, with this turbulence, does this Creighton team have it in them to steady the plane and get back to cruising? I always felt like last year's team did, and they eventually got it back. I'd say I'm, a, I'm, I'm not as confident in this team's ability to do that than I was in last year's team. So we'll see. I'm not saying it's not going to happen or it can't happen. It absolutely can happen, and I bet on it because I bet on Greg McDermott every day of the week. But I thought last year's teams had it in, had it in them more. But we'll see. Okay, so to kind of stop and zoom out, Creighton right now, they're sitting at 9-4. Their losses are to Colorado State and UNLV on neutral floors. They lost to Nova at home and then on the road at Marquette. The notable wins on the season are Iowa and Bama at home and then roadies at Nebraska and at Oklahoma State. The computers still really like Creighton. Creighton 17th in Ken Palm. They're 16th in the net. They're 11th in Torbic. When you look at Ken Palm, Creighton is right now, again, taping this on New Year's Eve, they're one of only eight teams that is in the top 25 of both offensive and defensive efficiency in the country. Those teams are Houston, Purdue, Arizona, BYU, Illinois, UConn, Auburn, and Creighton. So, I mean, take that for what it is. The computers really like Creighton. For me... From like a record standpoint, they're probably a game or two behind what I thought they'd where I thought they'd be at at this point. I thought they'd maybe drop one of the two road games at Okie State or at Nebraska, and then I thought maybe Bama would get them in the in the non-con. So I think I think in the preview I predicted ten and one in the non-con, if I'm not mistaken. And I, I thought Villanova would be probably a toss-up, and I didn't think they'd win at Marquette. So record-wise. Fairly close, but maybe not quite as good. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's it's the losses to Colorado State and UNLV that are the the most surprising, right? And as far as what my eyes tell me, this team's probably not been quite as good as I was anticipating. But to make excuses for myself, when you lose your point guard who had the ball in his hands the whole game, led your team in minutes for two straight years in Ryan Nemhard, and you lose your most athletic player 
who was a two-year starter in Arthur Kaluma. Like, there was always an element of the unknown with this team. Even though you had three known commodities, there were three really good players, those were two pretty big holes to fill that you were going, okay, I want to see what this looks like, though. I'll say this. Three of the four losses like were, were not good losses, like whether with how they looked or who, who it was to. Like, I mean, Creighton got dismantled by two Mountain West teams. Now, to be fair, Colorado State is pretty good, but that game wasn't even really competitive. And UNLV was 3-4 and four heading into that Creighton game and just punked Creighton in the second half. And then to blow a second-half 14-point lead at home to Villanova with it being Doug McDermott's jersey retirement night, but most importantly, Villanova didn't have their best player in Justin Moore. I mean, that's not that, – that I left that – I was at that game. I left that game like, oh, man. Up 14, at home, 16 minutes left. Villanova doesn't have Justin Moore. You got to win that game. You have to find a way to win that game. And then, you know, the Marquette loss, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a bad loss. Like I said, it was frustrating because I thought Creighton had a legit chance to to steal that game and kind of melted down the stretch. So, you know, three of the four losses were pretty disheartening to me. And as far as the wins, the Bama game was amazing. It was just an amazing basketball game, and Creighton looked terrific in this in in that game, in particular in the second half. And then there was about a ten to twelve minute stretch against Iowa, really to start that second half where Creighton looked incredible. And obviously, Creighton went into Lincoln and completely obliterated their in-state rival, Nebraska, eighty-nine to sixty. And then you know something that that sometimes we gloss over, like. All the low major buy games on Creighton's schedule, Central Michigan and North Dakota State and Florida A&M and all those teams, Creighton didn't let any of those teams hang around at all and just and took care of business, which is good to see. So there have been some good moments too. The Iowa, the 10-12 the minute stretch against Iowa, the entire second half against Bama, the, the dominating win at Nebraska. There have been some good moments. Real quick to kind of circle back on that roller coaster long season thing. I do think Creighton is officially in this world where they are at times like when when team when when everybody slides them under the microscope, everyone tends to only focus on the weaknesses and issues and and the bad instead of the good things. They are sometimes a victim of their own expectations and success. So when when that's the case, people tend to poke holes rather than focus on the good. And I'm not saying it's not warranted to a certain degree. Creighton's issues are absolutely glaring. And like I said a second ago, their losses, some of them are pretty bad, but losses happen. You know, those losses were a little jarring and the weaknesses were on full display. But this team is still a really talented, dangerous team. Still one of the best, if not the best, three-point shooting teams in the country. This team still has three players that are as good as anybody's top three players in the country. And Greg McDermott is still a great coach who I believe is going to press the right buttons and put this team in the best position to be successful. So everyone, you still got to like, got to breathe. So again, I just you know, I don't want to turn on the mic here and just pump sunshine and rainbows. I try to balance it all, right? I'm trying to balance all of this stuff mentally, like a lot of you are. The good, the bad, the moment, the big picture, all of it. Because I have had I've had a lot of people just ask me, hey Nick, hey, what do you think? How good do you think Creighton is? Hey Nick, what do you think of Creighton? You think they're really good? And my answer usually is is kind of this. I usually go, okay, well, it depends on what lens are, are you asking the question in. 
Are we talking? Are, how good are they? Are, is this through the lens of a top ten team, a Final Four team, a Sweet Sixteen team, a Big East Championship team, an NCAA tournament team? There are a lot of ways to answer that question. Because listen, on a simple level, how good are they? I mean, they're they're really good, obviously. But do I think this is a top ten team? No, I, I don't. I, at least not right now. Do I think this is a Big East championship team? Right now, I don't. I think UConn and Marquette are, are cut above them right now. Do I think they are a top 20 team in the country? Absolutely. Do I think they could be a Sweet 16 team, second weekend NCAA tournament team? Absolutely. Do I think they're a top three or four team in the Big East? I think so. Now, what is all that... You know, how do you how do you add all that stuff up? I mean, from a broad standpoint, that's how I'd answer it, how good I think they are. Not a top 10 team, in my opinion. Top 20 team, though, for sure. Not a Big East title team right now. Top three or four team, for sure. Not a Final Four squad right now. Second weekend team is absolutely possible. And the reason I, I arrive at, at that, the reason I think all of that is... Well, I mean, we've kind of been over a lot of this stuff, but I mean, it, it bears repeating. Like Creighton has a major speed and quickness athleticism issue that isn't going away. The reality, of, the reality is, this team misses Ryan Nemhard a lot. Nemhard could get into the paint, get all the way to the rim. Nobody really on this roster right now can. Baylor Shireman can kind of methodically plod his way, you know, like dribble, dribble, spin, shoulder into a guy, spin. Like he can methodically plod his way there. I think one of the reasons Trey Alexander's a mid-range guy is because he doesn't get all the way to the rim great. Like he, but that's where he's more of a mid-range guy. And that's not Ashworth's game at all. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I man, I, I, I heard and and I've seen some stats on shots at the rim for Creighton from last year compared to this year, and they are like glaring, jarring, eye-opening. Individually, I think the number I heard when I was talking to somebody, I won't say who I was talking to, but when I was talking to somebody, the, the number I heard through the first 10 games of the season in terms of shots at the rim was last year Ryan Nemhard had 47 shots at the rim. Ashworth has like five. I mean, it's eye-opening. So I think this team really misses Nemhard. He got to the rim. He got into the paint. You couldn't really pressure him. When teams tried to heat Creighton up, Nemhard was hard to speed up. He could get he could break down people and get into the paint. All those things right now, Creighton's guards struggle with. The other big thing is. Ryan Nemhard made Kalkbrenner better. Ryan Nemhard unlocked Kalkbrenner's offense at a higher level. Let me ask you a question. How many pick roll lob dunks has Kalkbrenner got this year? That number has plummeted. That was a Creighton staple. And it I mean it, it precedes Kalkbrenner, but whether it was Martin Crumple or Justin Patton or Christian Bishop, like that was a big part of Creighton's offense. Pick, roll, flip up to the rim. Mo Watson used to do it. Marcus Zagorowski used to do it. Ryan Nemhard used to do it. And all of a sudden this year, 
kind of eliminated. And that was Kalkbrenner's thing. A big part of of Kalkbrenner's offense, like he was an incredible pick-roll lob finisher. And to me, that Nemhard's absence has really hurt that. I think overall, Kalkbrenner has been a little less impactful on offense in stretches, and I think a lot of that has to do with Nemhard not being there. So, listen, I've been on this from the start. I was very concerned about this team's athleticism and quickness, and that concern still is very much alive. Especially as Creighton now gets into conference play, where teams' familiarity level with you and your set plays and your pet plays increases, you end up having to rely on your offense after the set play to score. Does that make sense? Like, you can maybe run a quick hitter against Iowa and you get a wide-open three or a wide-open layup or an easy shot against Bama or something like that. Like, they don't know you as well. They don't know your tendencies. They don't have a good feel for your personnel. They don't have as as good of a sense of your pet plays. Well, Dan Hurley does. Shaka Smart does. Sean Miller does. And it's harder to get your, your pet plays, your set plays, and so oftentimes it's your offense after your initial offense. And oftentimes that comes down to a guy breaking down the defense off the dribble. And like I just laid out, this team lacks that. Last year, Nemhard could do that. Even Kaluma could do that at times. So we'll see how all of that plays out. And obviously the athleticism impacts the defensive end of the floor as well. The reality is Ashworth, Trout, and Miller all struggle to guard on, on the perimeter. They just do. And that will, I mean, there's a, there's a reason, there's a reason that Creighton right now is is closing a lot of the games. You know, they're 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 having to play Alexander, Kalkbrenner, Shireman, Farabello. Like those four guys are having to close out a lot of the games. So this all those kinds of things with the lack of athleticism, that's gonna have to get navigated defensively as well by Greg McDermott and the staff. I think this team right now is able to put up great defensive analytical numbers. Like, their their defensive numbers from what they're trying to do, like where shots are coming from and who's taking them, like, they do a great job of it. They're able to do that, though, because of Kalkbrenner and then their collective intelligence. They're a smart group. And that's going to have to be how they defend moving forward. They, gotta, they, they have to continue to lean on Kalkbrenner, and they're going to have to be really smart. And they, I mean, let's just, uh, let's address one of the elephants in the room here, which is uh, I, I kind of was getting out with Ryan Nemhard, and that and that's Stephen Ashworth. He has to play better, period. And listen, if Ashworth was sitting across from me here in my pod studio, he would not. He would be the first to say, "I agree." He knows that. I mean, you don't got to be you don't you don't got to be Dana Altman. You don't got to be James Naismith to be able to point this out, right? I mean, Ashworth's got to be better. Creighton needs way more out of him, and right now he's just kind of a guy out there. And they didn't bring him in to be just a guy. They brought him in to be an impact guy, a stud. They need that, and Ashworth came here to do that. And it's it's hard to to kind of. I don't. I, a part of me doesn't even know what to say with him. Like he's just. Some of it's pretty, pretty obvious, right? Like he's just a lost a little bit of his confidence, and he's and he's having a hard time finding his groove again. The one thing with Ashworth that I thought would always be there, like of course his size, 
his athleticism, all that stuff, like, yes, like th- those were going to be things he was going to have to overcome. But the one thing that was always going to be there was his three-point shot. I felt like for all the shortcomings on his athleticism and, and size and, and playmaking, the one thing he could always provide, that saving grace, would be shooting. And the last five games, he has been cold. Ashworth is 5 for 26 from three in his last five games. That can't happen. Like, he cannot, he can't have another five-game stretch like this. I mean, this is one of the best three-point shooters in the country a year ago. 111 made threes. 43% on those 111 made threes. And he's really hit a cold spell here. And when, when he's... He's obviously not elite at some of the other things on the floor. Defensively, all those kinds of things. He's got to at least be making shots. Right? Like, think back to past Blue Jays. I mean, hell, you could throw me in there if you want to, but, like, whether we're talking Jimmy Motes. Like, Jimmy Jimmy won the best passer, defender. St- like, So, for Jimmy to stay on the floor, Jimmy better make his open shots. Ethan Rogge. Ethan's not a great ball handler. Ethan's not playing above the rim. Ethan's not, you know, make breaking guys off the bounce. But but so for Ethan to stay on the floor, you better make your shots. I mean, Ashworth's in that like those are extreme examples, but that's what Ashworth like. He he's not he's not good enough in some of these other areas for him to to then not also make shots. He's got to he's got to get that that spot. He's got to get his shot back. And obviously that point guard spot in Ashworth is is kind of the big one for for this team. Like if Ashworth doesn't get it going, Creighton's probably not going to reach their ceiling on this year. But again, this is where I like Ashworth. He's 24 years old. He he's like at, he's been through it. He's he's been a role guy that's had to work his way up into being a star. So like being a role guy is not necessarily completely foreign to him. Like, but he's gonna have to find a way to like get it back. And again, he'd be the first to agree with all of this. He's got to find a way to handle the ball better. He's got to find a way to get Kalkbrenner more involved. He's got to continue to fight his tail off on defense. And it's funny, when Creighton landed him, when they landed landed Ashworth, I was hoping Ashworth would be like, do you guys remember the old Marquette guard, Andrew Rousey? Played at Marquette for, for two years, 2016 to 2018. He was just a little white dude. Five, he was barely 5'10". He, I think he was listed at 5'10", but he was like barely 5, or 5'11", but he was barely 5'10". But he's pretty quick, and that dude had an absolute torch of a jump shot. A torch. And I was hoping Ashworth could kind of be like that. And so far he hasn't. But that that spot's a big one off obviously. Like he's lost some confidence, he's lost a little bit of his rhythm, and you can tell he's pressing a bit. He's just got to get his swagger back. And like I was saying, the reality is he's never going to be an elite playmaker, break break a guy down off the dribble, elite defensive player. What he has to be is an Ethan Roggy type shooter for the rest of the season. Where if he's open, it is in. 
which is absolutely possible and something I'd bet on. You don't, you don't, 111 made threes. You don't make 111, I mean, 111 threes, 43%. You have an absolute bazooka of a jump shot. So he'll get it back, but he has to get it back. So, obviously, that point guard spot's a big one right now. When you look at some other guys, Trey Alexander has to shoot it better from three. His numbers are way down, 41% a year ago, now 27% this year. He's got to get his threes to fall. But the big thing is Trey's got to be more of a rock-solid ball handler. He needs to be the guy that when teams pin their ears back and pressure Creighton, he's the guy that consistently gets into the lane and gets to the rim. And then Creighton also needs to get Kalkbrenner more involved and more touches offensively. I mean, the pick-roll lob stuff obviously was a huge part of how he impacted the game offensively. That stuff's just not really happening right now. So they have to st- – but they got to find another – got to find other ways to get him opportunities to score. He's too good of a player. He's too efficient of a scorer to have some games where he's just kind of a non-factor offensively. Now, again, a lot of this is Ryan Nemhard's absence. There's no doubt about that. But I also think some of this is on Kalkbrenner, too. I think his intensity goes up and down maybe a little too much for me. Like, I want to, like that second half against Bama, you could feel that Dragon Kalkbrenner was in the building. That's what I kind of call him. Maybe I'm not sure if I've ever told people. like That's what I, my line to Bishop always when we're doing radio together. Like, Dragon Kalkbrenner, that guy that, like, when he's, when he's talking shit to people and barking at people and screaming, like, when that, guy's, when that guy's on the floor, look out. But that guy's not always on the floor. But that second half against Bama, Dragon Kalkbrenner was in the building, and he dominated. That was the same guy that was in the building against NC State in the NCAA tournament, where he had 33 or whatever it was, and dominated. I think his intensity and want to has to be a little more consistent, too. Like, guards got to get him the ball, no doubt about it. But he's got to be Dragon Kalkbrenner, too. Right? You can't just go, well, Nemhard's not here, I guess. No. No, you still, this is too good of a player. Still got to get him the ball, get him touches. And that goes for everybody, right? That's on everybody. So there you go. That's kind of where I'm at with... With everything with Creighton, little turbulence here. Lost four, three of their last four games. Try to breathe. Try to remember it's a long season. This team's ceiling is still pretty high, but I do think their floor is maybe a little lower than it was last year, in my opinion. I will say, I got a Baylor Shireman has just been a, a just a star all year. Like I have nothing but glowing things to say about that guy and how he's played all year. He has been. He gets an A plus from me. He's been Creighton's best player this year, and I don't even think it's particularly close. So Shireman just keeps – he needs to keep on doing – I don't know. What, what, what else could he have done against Marquette? I mean, he has been awesome. 
But Ashworth has to be better. That starts with the three point, his three-point shot. Trey Alexander, I think he's got to take it up a notch. He's got to be better with the ball, and he's got to make his threes at a higher clip. Kalkbrenner has to be more of a factor on offense, which is on everybody to, to make happen, including Kalkbrenner. Then the role guys got to do what they do, man. Miller, Trout, you hit your open threes, fight as much as you can on defense. Frederick King, hold the line when you're in for your, you know, eight to ten minutes a game. Farabello has to, you know, make his shots be a little bit more aggressive. So that's where I'm at with this group. That's where I'm at with this group. I, I don't think this group's too hard to fit. I mean, to me, they're they I think their their shortcomings and their issues are pretty pretty easy to see, easy to identify. Some of them are you can overcome. Some of them are going to be you know stuff you have to manage the whole year. Certain guys got to play better. I'm going to have to maybe tweak a few things. But again, I believe in Greg McDermott. I think he's going to press the right buttons. He's going to give this group the best chance to be successful. So. Again, long season, a little bit of turbulence here. You look at the schedule now. You're at Georgetown on on January 2nd. Obviously, Georgetown's really struggling this year. Then you get Providence at home. Then you're at DePaul. So, I mean, two years, you you got three games. Providence playing well, but you're at home. Then Providence is pretty good. Got to find a way to get back. And then St. John's comes to town before you head to UConn. Creighton's got to get got to got to get back on a roll here a little bit. So there you go. Again, shout out to Pella Windows and Doors. Make sure you check them out. PellaOmaha.com. The showrooms in Omaha and Lincoln are fantastic. Get your uh, new window game right, your new front door game right. They got a whole bunch of cool stuff. I've worked with them. They're first class people. And shouts out to Shoot Three Sixty Lincoln. It's the best place in the world. World's most advanced basketball training facility. Make sure you check out Shoot Three Sixty Lincoln when you get a chance. All right, we'll catch you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. A Heard at Sports Network production.